Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem. My name is Glenn King. It is my great honor to bring you this program, this podcast, where we talk about the things that other podcasts either cannot or will not or just fear to talk about. That is things for mature audiences only. And today, one of our favorite guests, she's a recurring uh, guest on the podcast here, it would be not doing her justice to just say that she is the premier and greatest labor attorney in the adult industry. She is one of the premier and greatest labor attorneys in the world. I can say that with certainty. That's a fact. Fact. That's right. And she is the great Karen Tynan. Thank you, Glenn. There you go. You're welcome. It's great to see you. So Karen and I are on Zoom today, so I can actually see her for the first time in a long time. And uh, COVID, I feel like we've been so far apart. Yeah, uh, it's funny that you know that's part of what I want to talk about today is the world of COVID and how COVID is this new world. And in some ways, I feel so isolated because I don't get to see people in person anymore. Right. But at the same time, I actually, because of Zoom and the technologies that have been emerging to respond to the COVID crisis, I'm seeing my mom and I'm seeing my family and I'm seeing my friends in some cases that I hadn't actually visually laid eyes upon in a long time. No, I think it's really cool that we've all kind of figured out ways to do this. Um, I never imagined remote depositions, remote hearings, um, having so many conferences that aren't just on my phone conference line. And I um, like the Zoom platform. I'm not trying to endorse it. They're not my clients, but I actually find it's great. I can share documents um, and we can do this and record a podcast, but we can see each other, which I like. Yeah, it's great. Well, let's talk about the world of COVID. The last time we talked, we were trying to figure out how to get the industry, the adult film industry started again. And here we are three months later. I knock on wood here. I, I think I'm 12 and 0 versus COVID in the tests or maybe, yeah. Uh, and so we've been shooting every week for the last three months. And um, there have been a lot of complications and things that we had to work through, but overall, I would say it's been a big success. And I wanted to get you back on here to talk about workplaces, both in the adult industry and in general, because everyone, whether you run a small business or you're part of a large business, we have so many issues that have moved to the forefront here in terms of you know, what happens if somebody is exposed and comes to the office or who, how do you quarantine people or how do you, what happens if somebody gets it and is in the office and what happens, you know, whose fault is it and, and all these great things. And let's just start by asking, you know, general question here. How's it going in the workplaces that are part of your client base? Well, um, of course I have clients other than the adult industry and Certainly, some industries are more impacted than others, right? Retail, meat processing, warehousing, anything where there's um, either close work together, which the adult business also has, right? We have people that must work shoulder to shoulder, and those that interact with the public or interact in healthcare settings. So, um, you know, I have a pretty good Cal OSHA perspective, and 
Um, I have some numbers uh, for you, Glenn. So since the beginning of March through about August 1st in California, there have been 5,007 COVID-related complaints to Cal-OSHA. That's workers complaining about COVID. And that's a variety of workplaces. So it's, it's very much across the board. Um, of course, uh, heavier in healthcare, meat processing, you know, food processing, agriculture. But certainly, that's a pretty big number considering the number of inspectors, the state resources. Um, what I'm seeing, and I'll share this anecdotally with you guys, um, with COVID, is that um, mask and face covering enforcement seems to be an issue. Um, and you and I have kind of talked uh, intermittently since March about uh, trying to get people to wear masks, what some of the barriers are, some people's personal beliefs. But in the end, the CDC, and I think um, every epidemiologist that we know says wear a mask. Um, so I, I think that's something that employers are still struggling with enforcement of that. Um, it certainly increased sanitation, increased housekeeping is required now. Um, that seems to be easier in the workplace because it's just a process, just do it. Um, I did a webinar on Nevada OSHA this morning and in that webinar we were talking about the enforcement efforts in Nevada. Now Nevada is just sending out inspectors to random workplaces and doing spot checks and is actually getting close to 90% compliance. When they go out, they check on something, they maybe give some advice about face coverings, then they go back for a second visit and they're getting very high numbers on compliance. So that's a technique that Nevada is using and the Nevada DIR, Department of uh, Industrial Relations, has some pretty good charts they update every week. Um, and so maybe that's something that you could share on Twitter, Glenn, um, for the industry. Let's make a note and we can share that uh, maybe when the po podcast is published or at another time. And we'll let people see kind of what industries are getting inspected, you know, what compliance looks like. Because if you can know what's going on in your community, I think that's helpful for everybody. And there's so much production in Nevada. I really wanna make sure everybody's very educated, not just in California, but also in Nevada. That would be great. Um, I do keep um, abreast of the uh, Nevada numbers every day. I track uh, the number of new cases, number of hospitalizations, uh, the positivity rates, you know, okay. you can look at these things and sort of, and you know, what I'm looking for is trending, really. Right. Uh, we're seeing some great things in Nevada right now, people. Uh, we were averaging at our worst somewhere around 1,200 cases a day, 1,200 new cases a day. And over the last, let's say, week and a half to two weeks, we've been dropping pretty significantly. And as I look right now at my screen, uh, we did 600 new cases, 632 new cases yesterday, but over the last five days, it's 636, 532, 403, 253, 554, 632. Uh, okay. A little bit of a trend over the last three days back up, 
but you can never really look at things in terms of that short. I usually track things by, I make a little spreadsheet and track the three-day rolling average and the seven-day rolling average so that you can see, because in some cases, it's just a matter of when test results are reported, they tend to come in in batches. Right. So the average is significantly dropping right now. We're probably right around half or less, if I look That's at the awesome. three-day average, yeah, as to where we were. Um, deaths are still significantly higher because that's a, uh, that lags behind new cases right. by a few weeks. So right now we're seeing people pass away, but we, as a general rule, we're seeing a lower percentage of deaths from COVID. Uh, I think that we are seeing uh, good treatments, therapeutics in place. They just know how to treat these better than they did six months ago. So yeah. people are a little safer. Uh, does you know, you're very familiar with testing as prevention because of the industry practices, right? We've had testing protocols for, you know, over a decade. And thinking about the COVID testing, when your testing numbers are going up, testing as prevention, if you find out that you have it, quarantine, you don't expose your family members, you don't expose your coworkers. And so it's not something that we see talked about a lot in mainstream, but as the testing numbers have come up, as people are getting tested, I think testing as prevention is playing out. And, and that's something that we're just so familiar with in this industry. Um, and, but it's a little nuanced. The average person doesn't think of testing as prevention, but it is. It absolutely is. And this, I don't understand why is somewhat limited to our industry. <laughs> I get tested every Monday and that's assuming that I'm shooting every Wednesday, but our industry has been pretty successful at screening out COVID from getting into the workplace by testing everybody. And yet I speak to people in the park every night. I get it that testing is somewhat expensive, so maybe that's why a lot of in, not that many industries are doing it. I mean, everyone, I think I'm the only person I know who's ever even been tested um, in terms of the people that I see at the park every night. And that makes no sense. Why isn't everyone getting a test at this point? And are you getting the nose swab test? No, they swab the back of our throat, but it is a PCR test. Um, it is a proprietary test that was created by Talent Testing, which is part of a, a larger company, and I can't remember their name at this time of the parent company, uh, but they are also doing testing for cruise lines and a lot of big industry places where they need to make sure that they're not passing from the employees to the public. But do you foresee at some point uh, either regulations or court decisions that cause workplaces to be forced to test their employees once a week or once a month or something? I don't think we're going to see forced testing. I think that the um, federal government has been very clear and the testing you're talking about that you get is very much approved and endorsed and if you look at it from a workplace safety standpoint, it is part of trying to minimize a hazard in the workplace. A lot of people are getting confused about the difference between the PCR testing and then antibody testing. Yeah. And of course, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you that the EEOC, the federal government, 
has said that the antibody testing, which also tells if you had an infection, is not appropriate for the workplace because it's identifying a prior illness. And it's not really what you would use to minimize that an active hazard. So I think it's important. You've been um, really good about edifying people about testing. And I hope that the fans that listen, your followers that listen, will understand the difference and be educated about it. And I think that's very important. Yeah, there are actually three types of tests. Let me break this down for the listeners here. There is the PCR test, which is the gold standard of testing, as best we can tell, with the, the highest reliability. Uh, then there's the antigen tests, and those are what you're seeing when you're talking about 15-minute uh, you know, testing, where uh, somebody's going to see the President of the United States, so they, they test him, and then 15 minutes later, they have a result, and they let him in the door. Those tests are much less reliable, but what they're also a lot cheaper. So they're better for environments where you're going to test somebody every day or, or often. Uh, the PCR tests, more effective, more expensive. Uh, and then there is the, um, the antibody test. My consulting physician, and this, you know, everybody's speculating in opinions, whatever. My consulting physician says those are worthless. <laughs> Uh, he, the reliability, so it turns out, this is, there's some research now that shows that the antibodies go away. Uh, so, okay, let me back up a second. You use the antibody test to see if you've had COVID previously. Theoretically, if you had COVID last week and now you're cured, you would still have antibodies in your system that would fight off COVID. And it would be good to know because if somebody's already had COVID, then there's much, uh, there's a very low probability that they're going to get it again. So far, there's only one semi-confirmed case in all of the world where somebody got COVID twice. Um, but the problem is, is that apparently the antibodies go away. So if you think, like, I think I had COVID back in February, and I took, a co I took an antibody test in April, and it was negative, and I said, oh, I guess I was wrong. I didn't have COVID. Now, what we're learning is, they should have figured out a way to look at my T cells. T cells control the antibodies. And so if we could do that, then we'd have a better idea as to who's had it and who hasn't. So I'm just giving you the advice of my um, consulting physician guys, but they don't, a lot of uh, physicians at this point think it's, there's no point to getting an antibody test at this time. Right, and, and don't get the testing confused. Like you, I was sick in March, in mm -hmm. early March. Yeah. Couldn't get a test when I called, um, I won't say my healthcare company, but it starts with a K. And, and they asked me two questions. Had I been on a cruise ship and did anyone in my house have COVID? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And so, of course, I hadn't been on a cruise ship and I didn't, nobody in my house had COVID. I didn't know. And so I couldn't get a test. And so I've never had a test either. Um, and um, like you, there's just so much in the news and, and people just say COVID testing. And, and I, I'm glad you were able to talk about the testing and you've really edified yourself as production uh, geared back up. Because if we're not educated about it and we're cavalier 
or we're kind of unsure, it's really gonna bite us. I think the only way for production to continue is through effective and efficient use of testing and compliance um, by those people on sets with the protocols. I know you have protocols, we've talked about those. Um, there's some best practices out there um, that certainly include social distancing, testing, mask, face shields, um, gloves, things like that. So, you know, that's the only way that I see the adult industry being able to continue filming um, until we have a vaccination, really. Even then, I don't know if that really yeah. solves the problem, the vaccination, um, but let's talk about adult sets then specifically. Yeah. Uh, because, so I'm a producer, which makes me a small business owner. And my, one of my number one or two top responsibilities is to provide a safe working environment for anybody who works for me. They are contractors in Nevada, but either way, uh, whether you're an employee or contractor, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute here, uh, you as an employer are responsible for providing a safe working environment. So here's what we do on adult sets. I try to shoot on Wednesdays and I have everyone test on Mondays. And that means uh, the director, the camera person, the makeup artist, the production manager, and then all of the talents. Everyone gets tested for COVID. We get the results back on Tuesday, late in the day, and then we shoot on Wednesday morning. And, uh, and, and, and then everyone's temperature is taken before they arrive into the building, just to make sure we're not seeing any symptoms. Uh, and then once we get on set, everyone's wearing a mask except for the performers. And then we limit somewhat what the performers do. We, we uh, used to have spitting as a prominent feature of our videos. We're not spitting anymore, uh, at least not. Okay. We can't have a performer spit in another performer's mouth or their face because if, so here's the hard part, people start, try to, um, if you're listening, try to stick with me on this. We're not worried about somebody, because there's so many people confused. We're not worried about somebody testing on Monday and then going to a party on Monday night and getting COVID and being contagious on Wednesday morning. That's highly unlikely. The problem is, five days ago or six days ago, we don't know what that person was doing. And so we've actually seen a case where somebody tested negative on one day, went to set and had tested again to go to another set the following day, but tested, got the results back and were positive on set that day. So they were negative the day before and positive the day after. So we have to allow for that as a possibility. And what are we going to do? What we're going to do at that point is we're, we're assuming that it is possible that one of the two performers has COVID. And that's why we want to prevent, okay, well, maybe if the two of them are interacting and one of them had the person that's on the receiving end has a strong immune system, they won't get COVID. But if you have the COVID person spitting in the non-COVID person's right. mouth, they probably have a greater chance of getting COVID. So that's what we're trying to prevent there. Which brings me to you. Uh, first off, do you know of any cases yet? Have there been any cases where someone feels like they got COVID on set and want to file a complaint or a lawsuit against their adult employer? 
I have not heard of any. I think that most of the production companies that jumped back in um, have taken precautions like you're talking about um, with uh, procedures about shooting and also um, a lot of cohabitant filming, you know, partners together um, filming, um, not doing multiple partner scenes, just having the two people just to um, minimize the people, you know, involved in activities and also minimizing the number of people on set. Um, yes. You know, uh, whether it's that your videographer is also going to shoot your still photos or, you know, however it works, no boyfriends on set, no, you know, all of that kind of thing. I think even if you think, well, you know, what's one more person? Well, it is one more person and it, and it increases your risk. And, and there's no reason to have that. I think, I think production has changed. I don't know about it changing back and when that will be. Um, but production has changed to try to deal with this hazard. And producers should realize um, their legal, moral, and frankly, fiscal responsibility on the set for safety, right? Um, whether you're the employer or not, at some point, if you're, you know, creating this set, you're bringing everyone together, you're arguably responsible for safety. We know in California, you know, there's employees and in Nevada, you guys um, are uh, using independent contractors, a little different setup. But um, in the end, whoever has kind of direction and control over that set needs to be the person responsible for safety. You're going to need to provide PPE, yeah. right? Um, and uh, do and enforce the practices that minimize, we're not going to eliminate the risk. I mean, I mean, to eliminate the risk, you just have to film solo, right? You have to right. have someone do camming. But um, if you're going to have content in a more traditional sense, um, it is about minimizing the hazard of COVID. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as an example, we had a scene planned that got canceled because of COVID right when the shutdown happened in April. We had a, uh, a fight consultant coming in to help us. We, we wanted to do a wrestling video. And so we had an expert on pro wrestling and fighting and so on come in to, to show us how to hit each other and wrestle without hurting each other. <laughs> and I've put that scene off. I can't do it right now. I don't want to have an extra person on set. I think the producers need to think of this as the new way of doing things until further notice, like waiting it out is not an option. I don't think I don't, I just don't see how I, I fully expect next April, for us to still be operating under these same restrictions? It wouldn't surprise me. I think there's so many variables. We don't even know about a date for a vaccine. We don't know how it'll be rolled out. Certainly my elderly mother is gonna get the vaccine before me, right? <laughs> it, I mean, that just makes sense. Um, and so we don't even know. Um, I think that for producers, performers, um, those people working in the industry, just trying to accept this as the norm, work within this system of safety protocols, 
and make your best efforts. Don't be cavalier about being a young person. Um, we all see the news. We know that it's not yeah. just the elderly or um, someone with an underlying condition who um, is going to become severely ill. And also the idea that you would come on set and be exposed and then expose others, people that you love or care about or in your household. So um, with that, I think you're right. The safety protocols now, this testing, like I, I know some people are getting tested more than once a week because they're shooting more than once a week. Right. Uh, I think they need to plan on continuing with that. And, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. And then the other part that I like that you mentioned that I would like for other producers to adopt is an awareness of looking at the data, looking for hotspots. Like you, you look at the Nevada website, right? Right. And so having an awareness, am I in a place, am I shooting where there is heavy community spread? Mm -hmm. Am I, you know, bringing, flying people in from a place where there's community spread? Uh, you know, go online. All of this information is very available. And I think that kind of edification, like you're talking about, that awareness and um, trying to be more educated about what is happening and where the risks are is what every producer should be doing. Great points, absolutely. Uh, especially when you're talking about flying people in, uh -huh. you know, which is something that, you know, I said I wasn't gonna do a few months back, but then, you know, what happens is an agent calls and says, uh -huh. hey, this super duper star performer is coming to town. Do you wanna shoot her? This may be your only opportunity in the next 12 months. And so I end up shooting her and, and I think that's a, Again, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's my responsibility if that performer ends up getting it on the plane and infects somebody on set, uh, you know, we, we could end up in a situation where I'm liable. And, and I guess let's talk about Walmart and Safeway then. I know those are two companies that have already been sued by their employees for providing environments where the employees feel like they got COVID as a result of their negligence in some form or fashion. Uh, so what are we seeing in terms of nationwide cases of people suing their employers? Well, we've seen um, a couple of different kind of, I would call it classifications of lawsuits around COVID. You have, even though you have workers' compensation exclusivity, a lot of attorneys are trying to get around that. They want to have a civil lawsuit around COVID. So they're trying to find ways around that for, for employees. We're seeing those lawsuits where um, plaintiffs' attorneys are saying, hey, the workers' compensation bargain is for if I come to work in a way where I'm provided for, we have this bargain where I'm gonna work for you in a safe way and you're gonna provide me a safe workplace, we are not meeting your end of the bargain, so I should get out of workers' comp. That, that's one theory that plaintiff's attorneys are having. What we're also seeing are um, lawsuits where someone, let's say they go to work at Glenn's Manufacturing and they operate the punch press and another punch press operator has COVID, they get COVID at work at Glenn's company. Then they come home and they give COVID to their wife. Well, now we're seeing lawsuits where wife is suing Glenn. Mm, so wow. 
Okay. Yes. So um, there's a couple of big cases in New York and um, in California uh, where spouses or household members have sued the employers. Those are in very early stages. Well, that brings us to a discussion of insurance. But before we talk about insurance, we need to talk about our sponsor, the greatest sponsor in the world. And I'm talking about Sext Panther. Now, Karen Tynan is not on Sex Panther, but if you're a regular listener of the show, you know that almost every other performer that's ever come on the show, uh, actually Karen Tynan, not a performer, but you get what I mean. Every, almost every performer that's ever come on the show is on Sex Panther, and Sex Panther is your way of getting to know these performers intimately and personally. It's really simple. It simply allows you to use your phone to send text messages to performers, and then they can text you back. We call that sexting. They can send you videos. They can send you pictures. They can talk to you on the phone. You can do that all at sextpanther.com. That's S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. You can talk to performers like Sarah J. You can talk to uh, Courtney Taylor, London River, you could talk to um, Astro Domina, Sophia Rose. So many great performers who have been on the show are on Sex Panther, and it's just a wonderful way for you to get to know them. You can, I mean, you could sex with them, but you can also talk to them and find out how their day is going, and they can find out how you're doing. And you know what? You can also send that dick picture in a way that's not going to upset them. A lot of them have programs where they will rate the dick. You can send them the dick, the dick picture. And they will take a look at it and tell you what they think. And again, you know, that's how you um, definitely have an intimate relationship with somebody after they have seen your dick, I would say. And if you are one of the many performers who listens to the program and you're not on Sex Panther yet, you are crazy. You are just leaving an opportunity on the table to be able to get to know your fans. Everyone wants to be able to build long-term relationships with your fans. You can do that with Sex Panther. So go to sexpanther.com today, whether you're a fan who wants to meet your favorite star or, or whether you are a performer who wants to meet your fans. Either way, go to Sex Panther. If you're a performer who needs help in getting set up, tweet me and I will help you, I will help you get set up on Sex Panther. Let's get back to Karen Tynan and we'll talk about the need for insurance in the world of production. I want to talk about another kind of um, lawsuit that we've seen and I wrote an article about it about two months ago where people at work are suing their employer for creating a public nuisance. Now public nuisance is kind of a legal term and people think oh isn't that where like the smelly factory um, creates a nuisance and all of us neighbors hate it yeah. well that's that is traditionally what a public nuisance is um it is uh, it you see it in property litigation what they call real property litigation but now um there are some attorneys suing and there was a major fast food chain um, that was sued in Oakland around the theory that because their, their employees are interacting with the public and their employees have had COVID, that it's a public nuisance. It's harming the public. It's harming the community. Huh. Um, 
that's another area that was never anticipated. Wasn't it anything anyone was talking about back in March, but it's something that's developed. And um, if we could roll this into a conversation about insurance, Glenn, yes. I think a lot of people think that their um, insurance, whether it's their homeowners or maybe they've got a policy for their production company, um, they're thinking that, well, if I get sued, I'm going to take that 20 page lawsuit and I'm going to scan it and send it to my insurance broker. And I'm just going to, you know, wipe my hands and walk away. And unfortunately, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So, okay. That's yes. That's a can of worms. Let's open that up. So uh, somebody gets COVID on your set. Now, obviously, that's your workers' comp insurance that you're talking mm -hmm. about. But you don't think workers' comp insurance, which actually brings us to the, to the kink case, which I think you were involved in and can't talk about specifically, but you could talk about insurance as it, has, it relates to any work, workplace. So I'll mention the kink uh, case real quickly, just so people understand the perspective here. There was a adult industry performer who got HIV and they had performed in a scene that uh, they believe was a dangerous scene and so they concluded this performer and I think there was her boyfriend also got HIV and then one other person that was involved with them somehow so they got uh, uh, HIV and they blamed it on the employer who had put them in the scene now you could you could also, if you're doing an investigation, you're, 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 you're them, you're going to point to other places they might have gotten HIV. And that's certainly what their argument was, since there wasn't a case where two performers who had performed together actually both got it. But the part that's relevant here is that the employer wanted the insurance company to pay for this. And the court ruled recently that the insurance company would not be on the hook for this. And that's what we're talking about here, right? Is that you're not going to be able to count on your insurance company to be responsible for something that can't be proven actually happened on your, uh, in your employee. Is that about the long and short of it? That it is. And, and let me say, Glenn, that insurance is complicated. We all have car insurance, right? And so we know we get in a wreck, we call our insurance agent, fill out the forms. Um, maybe if you're hurt, you know, it gets a little complicated with the medical part of it. But, but when, when you have insurance for your business, um, maybe some people do have workers comp because they're in California, they have employees, they have the workers' comp insurance. You know, there's a lot of, there's kind of the top five carriers. And um, it should be the matter of filing a form and getting coverage and, and the person getting benefits. Um, general liability insurance for your premises or your business where um, activities are taking place is the kind of insurance that we're talking about. And, my admonition and a best practice for companies is to take a look at the addendums and exclusions because many um, insurance policies have exclusions and they've developed over time because they've ended up paying money out on claims. For example, um, 
companies many years ago paid out massive claims for Legionnaire's disease, right? And so now there's a communicable disease exclusion in many policies. Well, guess what? COVID's a communicable disease, right? Mm. So um, we had a conversation on an FSC attorney call where a bunch of us attorneys were talking. And, um, you know, because I've done so much insurance litigation, uh, I, I wouldn't say I corrected a fellow attorney. I would say I edified them and just said, look, you know, the idea that, you know, you're going to have a policy that doesn't have an exclusion for communicable diseases isn't very realistic. Um, you may be that kind of one in a hundred or two in a hundred that does, not likely. So typical policies have exclusions for communicable diseases. Typical policies have exclusions for sexual assaults. Um, that is based on uh, prior cases involving churches and youth organizations where insurance companies were left holding the bag for assaultive behavior, um, either among, you know, in a power dynamic from an adult to a child or, you know, an adult to another an adult. So most policies are going to have exclusions for sexual assault or intentional torts like battery. So I think what I'd like for the takeaway for, you know, people in the industry is to just be aware that, yes, if you have insurance, it's great. If someone slips and falls, you know, trips over a power cord, um, chips their tooth while eating a sandwich during lunch or, you know, pick, pick a, an event um, like that, uh, you're going to have coverage likely. But, but there are complexities and they need to make sure they're communicating with their broker and understand because look, a COVID case, you know, I'm not a nurse or a medical professional, but I think we all have a sense of what a day in the ICU probably cost on the hospital bill, right? It's not $32, it's not $300, it's not 3,000, it's probably 30,000 or yeah. some exorbitant amount. So if you get someone really sick from COVID and they spend two weeks in the ICU and then they have to recover, you know, you're talking about medical bills that could be a million dollars. I, I think hope that, they have insurance, yeah. but yes. Yeah. I mean, I do, there's a lot of the industry does not have health insurance. A lot right. of performers in our industry. So right. yeah, and they're, you, they're you young and, yeah. and may not have, you know, healthcare coverage. So um, I don't think that's the average COVID case. Obviously I read the news and the average case, if you had a hundred people that got COVID, a hundred of them wouldn't end up in the ICU, not even 50 of them, not even 70 of them, but certainly, you know, more than one or two would end up in the hospital. Yeah. If, you, if you just look at the numbers. So being mindful of your risk, um, and protecting your assets uh, is important. I think it's kind of a second tier of risk management compared to managing your risk on the set. Um, and I, I just like for people in the business to, you know, try to be a little bit sophisticated in, in how you run your business and understand what is my insurance? You know, if someone does trip over a cord, what would I do if they broke their leg? Would I roll them up to the hospital and tell them to tuck and roll and kick them out? You know, what am I going to do? Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about specific scenarios then. Um, okay, so in scenario one, somebody, you know, two performers are performing together on set. Five day, or a week later, one of them tests positive for COVID. We test everyone else that was on set and nobody else has, nobody else tests positive. So that person got COVID, they think they got it on your set, but there's no direct tracing that shows to anybody else. Scenario two is where you get one person test positive for COVID and then the, the person that performed with them or the makeup artist or somebody else that was on set that day also tests positive and then you have a direct link. Now, let's assume for a moment that I had everybody sign as a producer, I had everybody sign a COVID waiver saying that they understand that they're facing risk here. And let's assume that they're all contractors since we're talking Nevada at the moment, but I mean, t take it from both angles. What, what kind of trouble is the producer in at that point? Well, you, you talked about a waiver and I think it's a good time to talk about that as a practice that many producers are using. So many producers are having uh, performers or crews, especially if they're independent contractors, sign a COVID waiver or acknowledgement. And what it says is, hi, I'm, I'm Glenn, I'm a performer, I'm gonna perform today. I understand the risk, I'm waiving um, my right to sue you. I'm assuming all the risk and I'm averring and promising that today on, you know, August, whatever, 2020. Um, I think that that is also best practice. Um, they're not necessarily bulletproof. Of course, any plaintiff's attorney is going to say, well, the waiver was signed under duress. Glenn didn't really read it. It was in 10-point font, not 12-point font, you know, little things like that. But, but is it a best practice? Absolutely, to have that COVID waiver. And I think that's what we're going to see through 2021 is um, people acknowledging that if they are going to work on an adult set, that they are assuming certain risk, much like if they chose to, you know, go to an amusement park or something else. Now, in the case where we have just the one person on a set that ends up being COVID positive when you can't really figure out where they got it, um, I think the, um, evidence or the, the standard is, is really going to be, look, we can't show that that person uh, got it here at work. And, you know, if you ever had either OSHA investigate you or a lawsuit or the Department of Public Health show up, they could show up and knock on your door. I think you could say, hey, I interviewed everybody. We were all tested. We wore masks. We social distanced. We can't figure out where they got it. Um, that's assuming that you, producer, followed proper protocols, yes. which is what we're trying to emphasize today. <laughs> right. And you compare that to your second scenario where you end up with two people um, that test positive for COVID. It's a little tougher sell, right? Which one had it first? Did, did the transmission happen on set? Did the transmission happen if they took the train to Glenn's to shoot that day? Um, and, and that's when you have to really look at, you know, was their community spread? Were they from the same community? You know, did they carpool that day? Um, was there some time on the set where people lowered their mask? Um, and so, you know, coming back to 
that reminder that you just said of, hey, that's why you follow the protocols because hindsight is going to be 2020. And would you want to be the person answering the question of, well, why didn't you wear a mask? They cost three cents a piece. You know, yeah, we all hate wearing them, but weren't you interested in health and safety that day? You know, why weren't people wearing gloves and cleaning the bathroom? You know, all those kind of questions, it's hard to go back and explain why you didn't do something as simple as wear a mask, social distance, sanitize your set, or um, have people tested and take a look at their results. So I think what you're saying is, if I could summarize for our listeners, is that if you as an employer or producer want to protect yourself, the most important thing to do is to provide an environment that no one can accuse you of negligence and no one can accuse you of not providing reasonable safety protocols that adhere to industry standard. Correct? Fair. That's very fair, Glenn. And, and I think that for many producers, and we know uh, how the industry works now and how much money people make per scene, and, and certainly there's not um, particular fat to cut as far as money, you know, uh, on a per scene basis. Uh, so I, I can see how people think, oh God, one more thing for me to spend money on. But, but think about what we just talked about with no insurance coverage. It's like driving a car without insurance down the freeway. Don't do it. Um, you, you've, you've got to wear your seatbelt. You, you've got to do those activities that help minimize your risk, the harm on the set, the risk to your business. Um, you know, don't be cavalier. I've heard other people over the years say, eh, I'm judgment proof. My wife owns the house, <laughs> my car. Sure. You know, you've heard it too, Glenn. Come on. Yes. No, that's a saying. I have heard people speak like that. Right. They, and nobody's going to sue me because I don't have any money is the, is the, you know, prevailing way of thought. And it's like, okay, well, first off, you have some money. <laughs> doesn't mean you're not going to be named in the, in the lawsuit for whatever company it was that you made content for and sold it to. Right. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're just going to write a letter to the attorney after the lawsuit gets filed and say, you know, dear Karen Tynan, I see that you represent Glenn. I don't have any money. Please go away. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and um, so especially, and I think what happens sometimes is people that feel they're judgment proof um, are also posting on Twitter, you know, pictures of them and their Lamborghini or their Rolls Royce or whatever, well, then it's a hard question, you know, well, you, ha you have the money for this Rolls Royce, why don't you have money to pay for Glenn's COVID recovery and his respiratory therapist? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I will, well, I'll relate in a specific incident. You're no, you're ago. smiling because I, you somehow, I've, I've struck a nerve. I can, I wish people could see you smiling. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been around for so many years and I, I, I've heard those exact things that you have related where you've got people who they brag on Twitter about the millions of dollars they have. They drive around in Hummers or whatever expensive vehicle. And then when it comes time to pay out for an incident that happened on set, they immediately say, we got zero money in the bank and, you know, it, it, the, the story changes. And so maybe my advice to people is, is don't be so... Um, 
visible with your money to start with. I mean, heck, you know, make your bag and spend it on things and don't brag about it constantly. I, I knew a performer who went on Instagram rolling in money. She had all this cash and she put it on her bed and she was rolling in it, showing everybody how much money she has. And then she got robbed a few days later. Uh, but I want to I want to relate a specific incident that happened for producers to think about here and maybe get Karen's thoughts on it. But just a couple of weeks ago, we had a performer. We were shooting a scene on a Wednesday. Uh, we all went and tested. I spent I paid for everyone to have a COVID test that was going to be on set. Uh, and then on Tuesday, she said, "I'm having car troubles and I'm in Los Angeles right now. I can't get to Nevada on Wednesday for the scene." So. Then you got the problem of, she says, okay, but I'll be there Thursday. At that point, it was too late in the day for all of us to go get tested again to be able to do this. Now, the industry standard is two days right now, but three days is, is viable. It's something that the agencies are agreeing is reasonable under circumstances like this. We pushed it, and we were going to work with everybody on a three-day test. Then she checks in the next day and says, I can't make it. Didn't give us a reason, but says, I need to push the scene to Friday. I, I said, well, we have to test again at that point. This is the thing, guys, producers. Let's get Karen's opinion. But I believe if I would have said, let's just um, go on a fourth day on that test, I would have opened us up to a lot more uh, uh, danger in terms of a lawsuit on us once I started going outside of industry guidelines, right? Right, of course. Whenever you're in litigation or an investigation, whether it's Department of Public Health, the Labor Board, whatever, um, hindsight's always 2020 uh, as to why you did something or why you didn't do something. And so I, I do think you're right. Um, a common question in any type of, whether it's a deposition, litigation, whatever it is, is, is what is the standard industry practice? And, and sometimes you might be litigating, um, I had a case in a lettuce factory once about how the gals chop the little heads off the cabbage and throw the cabbage down the conveyor belt. And there is an industry practice for how many gals are up there. They've got these little like mini machetes and they're, they're going away, chop, chop, chop. And the, the cabbage goes onto the conveyor belt at a certain speed. And then it goes up into this giant salad spinner. And, and it's very standard in that salad washing industry and, and industry standards are generally very relevant and deviation from an accepted industry standard um, can be very important and and state agencies whether it's a department of public health or a department of industrial relations will consider that and i've heard other people are you the other side glenn about well you know, our testing protocols aren't law. It's just something the FSC says, so it doesn't really matter. Right. Right. But but here's, here's let me be devil's advocate. Um, there are industry standard practices in content creation about testing, about how people are paid, about typical activities on the set, about 
whether or not, you know, you have a bathroom or expectations about makeup or wardrobe, things like that, that, that um, you would know if I, if I was deposing you, you would be able to answer questions about typical industry practices. When right. you're deviating from those practices, you are um, making yourself vulnerable. That's the word we want to use, vulnerable. Why make yourself vulnerable? Maybe you'll be lucky and you'll just march on and nothing will happen. But why be vulnerable when you do not need to be vulnerable? There you go. So the bottom line is, uh, listeners, if you're a producer, understand industry standards. It's very important. And by the way, I, I get it. Right now, the FSC had a big um, falling out with TTS, with talent testing. Talent testing is the only provider that's providing reasonably priced uh, COVID tests that come back the next day. So right now, a lot of producers are using TTS and not really using the FSC. And my advice to you guys then is to contact the talent agents. Ask the agents what are, and, and I'm not talking about some dude who represents his girlfriend out of Ohio. <laughs> I'm talking about ATM LA and OC and, and 101 modeling, you know, the ones that are at the forefront of this and have the most performers and they can tell you, and I talk to them all the time about this and they tell me what, you know, what is industry standards right now? If right, everyone else is doing two days, then you can't do five days without making yourself vulnerable. Go ahead. And I would trust what Sandra or Mark says at those two agencies you were talking about. They, they, they know what's happening. They are boots on the ground. And um, I frankly also use them as a resource at times about, you know, typical practices or what's happening with, you know, a particular company or how things are working out. And, um, you know, because they, they're also trying to minimize their risk. As talent agents, they are licensed by the state of California or the state of Nevada or whatever state they're operating in, and they have particular standards. And, and I know, um, you know, Mark Schechter's a friend of mine, Sandra's a friend of mine at OC Modeling, and they take their personal responsibility very seriously. And they take their license, um, uh, very seriously. They guard it as an asset. They understand their ethical duties. And so I, I like how you said, you know, when you, when you talk about talking to agents about this, yeah, it's not, it's not somebody's boyfriend. You're talking about the professional licensed agents. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, um, Chris from Fox Modeling is very much on it. Yeah. Um, uh, so is, uh, who are the other Spiegler? I've talked to him about mm -hmm. it. Uh, Bud at 101 is very much tuned into these things. Um, I just, I don't know if I've spoken in detail to any other agents, but a lot of the other agents are heavily involved as well. So uh, check in with them. Um, okay, so let's move on here. I, well, I have one more thought about COVID and let's just, then we'll move on. Cause um, I sent Karen a list of like 20 topics to talk about. And then as usual, we're almost out of time and we're, we're, we've gotten through one, but there are a couple of other important things I'm going to ask you about, but I just want to leave you guys with a thought about COVID. If you're thinking about waiting it out again, let me come back to what I've learned about vaccines. Uh, my information could be slightly outdated, but the last time I checked, the flu vaccine was about 60% effective, 60%. So that means four 
out of every 10 people who take the vaccine, it doesn't help them one way or the other. And, and as a result, a lot of people still get the flu every year, even with the vaccine that comes out yeah. every year. This vaccine that's going to come out, which is being rushed, by the way, we have no idea whether it's 60% reliable or 65% reliable or 55% reliable, but it's not going to be 100% reliable. There's never been a vaccine, I don't think, although maybe polio is 100% reliable. I could be wrong. Uh, but the point is, is that this is a lot, you need to think in terms of the flu vaccine reliability as compared to the polio vaccine reliability. And don't think that this is going to be over the minute that the president announces that the, there's a vaccine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so let's move on. We got a couple of important things. I need to ask Karen for an update on AB5 because I'm not in California and I have no idea how it's going. Uh, how's it going? Is everybody now employees in the adult industry? Pretty much. Um, there's been no relief from AB5, which uh, of course uh, changed the labor code and pretty much enacted the dynamics test, the ABC test, um, and transitioned us from the Borello test. And so now it's much, much more difficult to be an independent contractor. Most people are employees now, except for some very narrow exceptions. And so with that, it goes back to our discussion about 40 minutes ago about employer liability, producer liability. Last year when AB5 was enacted, and you know, passed by the legislature and signed by Governor Newsom. You know, many people said, "Oh, you know, the these ride-sharing companies and mainstream are going to go to Sacramento and lobby and get it all changed back." And I knew that wasn't true. And you know, kind of waiting for the the white knight on the white horse with the sword—that's never a good business plan just in my humble opinion. Right. So <laughs> it didn't happen. If you're in California, um, certainly there are still people who say, well, I'm going to ignore it and just do my own thing. Um, you're at risk for EDD audits, lawsuits, and everything else. AB5 is here to stay with the ABC test and um, a lot of difficulties in trying to classify people as independent contractors. That was it in 45 seconds. How was that, Glenn? Fantastic. Let me translate that for producers. If you're a producer in the state of California, you need to use payroll to pay your performers, your makeup artist, your uh, crew, probably your video editor. Uh, you need to start doing this because if you don't, uh, eventually the state of California is going to come down on you and get you for, they're not just going to get you for last week. They're going to get you for months and months uh, with big fines. Is that right? They typically do a five-quarter audit, so that's a year and a quarter, and the unpaid payroll taxes will be due a 10% 10 interest and a 25% penalty, so do the math. And I've, I've been around this business over 10 years now working with production companies, talent agencies, and performers. I've handled many an EDD audit, even under the old standard. And the the dollars can add up quickly if you're producing one or two times a week. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a producer and you're doing a one boy girl scene a week, uh, your costs are going to be somewhere around eighty thousand a year. That's eight thousand dollars in the the ten percent taxes that you didn't pay 
plus uh, fines that you're going to get hit for just for the last 12 months of what you didn't do. Uh, excuse me, that's just the, the talent costs. Then you add in the makeup artist and the video editor and anybody else that, uh, and basically the test is if they contribute to the end product, then you need to think of them as an employee and not a, uh, a contractor. So, you know, I, listen to what she's saying, guys. A lot of you are probably ignoring this at this point. Have we seen the state of California go after anybody yet? Um, I haven't heard of anyone in the business, but there are quite a few EDD audits that were starting prior to COVID. Of course, COVID's yeah. really jacked things up with um, the unemployment and audits and disability and all that, but they'll eventually come around. Never fear the, the gears and cogs of state government turn. They turn slowly, but they don't stop turning, Glenn. Yes, yes. The state of California is as aggressive as any state I've ever heard of. Um, so I'm just telling you guys, this is what we're doing. This, I mean, By the way, guys, you know, uh, um, I'll say it again at the end of the podcast, but thank you, Karen, for coming on. She's donating her time today. She, she usually gets paid a pretty good significant rate per hour for her time. So this is just her trying to give you free advice on how you can protect your business from horrible harm. So please just give some thought to what she's saying here uh, in terms of how you're handling your performers in the state of California. Okay, so uh, let's see. There was one other thing that I thought was very important to ask her about, and that is, ah, so supposedly there was an incident on set, a lot of alleged and supposeds here, but let's just talk theoretically. Producer goes out, so, so for those of you who don't understand how the industry works, most companies don't have a studio that they shoot in every week. Uh, I think that's the right way to do it, by the way, is to just get your own studio, but most of them don't. So they rent houses to shoot in on a every time basis, and they just pay at the end of the day for the house that they rented. We call that location scouting and location rental. Supposedly, a producer over the last few weeks found a location that was down in a very unsafe neighborhood of Los Angeles. Believe it or not, there are unsafe neighborhoods in Los Angeles. The story as it goes on one of the news websites is that then the performers were terrified walking into this location and parking their cars at this location. Somebody was harassing a performer on the way in. Uh, you know, they spotted a hot girl going into this place and they were like, oh, we got to see. The guy then broke into or walked in, depending on what kind of security they had at this location, pulled out a gun, and supposedly there was some kind of a confrontation with that person and wow. the people that were on set. So obviously you're not part of this case. Otherwise, you would have already said, I can't talk about this. No, I hadn't heard about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't... It's better to talk about it hypothetically anyway, because stories tend to be exaggerated and I have no idea what really happened here, but it brings up interesting questions in terms of producer liability and agent liability. The article that I read actually was talking about agent liability and how this agent should be ashamed. I don't know of any agent that really Googles any address and looks at the Google visual map to determine what kind of nice places are around there. So let's start with the producer. Yeah. Obviously, the producer was responsible for providing a safe work environment. 
Yes, and and if you're in California, um, you do have a duty um, to protect your employees from workplace violence. Now, now in California, there's a standard or for healthcare because uh, there's so much uh, violence, like in psych units and emergency rooms, things like that. But but just for all other industries there's just more of a general duty to provide a safe workplace. And so a location like that, I think, you know, it comes back to what we were saying about hindsight's 2020. Do you want to be the person there answering, well, I picked this place because it was cheap, you know, well, didn't you realize, you know, the crime rate in the area or, um, you know, the fact that, um, there were <clears throat> disabled cars or whatever the factors are, right, that might lead you to believe that a place was unsafe. So I think the producer does have a duty. And I know what people talk about with talent agents, there is under the talent agency code, talent agent does have a duty to make sure that the place they're sending talent is a safe location. It's kind of vaguely worded. And it's very old labor code. Um, but it, it is also true that talent agents have a duty and allegations around unsafe um, work locations related to talent agents have traditionally been around bachelor parties, just to share that anecdotally, where mm -hmm. maybe a performer ends up, you know, get, being contracted to go to a bachelor party, and then it's not the safe kind of set or location she was expecting and there can be some disputes around that. So yes, the producer has a duty and yes, the talent agency has a duty. And um, I, I'm, now I'm interested when we get done with our podcast, I'm gonna have to go on the news sites and see. Yeah, check that out. Uh, the, the news site, you know, their angle is that these performers can sue for the trauma that they, you know, for the mental trauma that they endured as a result of this. I don't know. I think that's a tougher sell to basically have a person go to court and say, well, I was scared as somebody waved a gun in our general direction. And so I need you to give me $100,000 or whatever makes it worthwhile to sue. But certainly if somebody had actually been robbed or shot, right? Then you, you've got a case. Um, I do find it fascinating to wonder if agents need to think about that and start uh, checking locations in some way to make sure that they're safe. Probably. Yeah. All right. Well, Karen, as always, you're so gracious to give your time to people in the industry like this. Uh, she can't advertise her services, so I want to do it for her here and point out that, A, if you are a producer and you need a COVID waiver, that's just, this is where I got mine. Uh, Karen has one that she can modify or customize to meet your specific needs, so feel free to contact her about that. And also, if you are a producer or agent or anybody who has any kind of a concern about a legal issue that may arise from your productions, you should give Karen a retainer because the person that has the retainer already is the one that's going to be able to hire her as opposed to when you already, if you've waited too long, uh, then you both get into a position where you're both parties are racing to, uh, to sign you up. Is that, is that no? Oh, you froze up on me. I couldn't hear anything you said for the last minute. I'm sorry. Oh, so. Sorry. Now I'm getting a thing on my screen saying your internet connection is unstable. Damn.
uh, well, hopefully, okay, let me cover that again. I was just pointing out that um, you want to, to hire Karen in advance if you are a producer, because in the end, if there is, if you wait until there's already a labor dispute, the person that already has the retainer is going to be the one who gets to use Karen's services. If you get, if otherwise you're going to end up in a race, everyone knows about Karen. So uh, that's why I'm saying get your relationship with Karen now. You're, you're very kind. I've enjoyed lots of litigation and advice and counsel work over the years with the industry. I've had some fun fights and not so fun fights and I miss, um, didn't get to go to Miami in May. Um, and it looks like it'll be a long time before I see a lot of people that I used to enjoy having a cranberry juice and vodka with, but, um, there is next year and we'll hope for that. Let's hope so. Let's hope we can all see each other again in 2022, most likely, <laughs> but know. who knows? Uh, so your, uh, Twitter information is again, go ahead and tell everybody how they can contact you. Oh. I'm on Twitter. I was an early adopter, so it's at Karen Attorney, um, which is easy. And uh, I tend to post some fun stuff on Twitter and some educational things. And as laws change, I try to keep everybody updated. So um, go ahead and follow me. And of course, uh, Glenn and I post things together quite a bit. So um, make sure uh, Glenn's one of my favorites uh, in this business. And I appreciate all that he does because um, this is above and beyond for other producers, for fans and for, for performers. So um, let's keep it up. Let's do. So we'll plan on if she'll come again uh, for Karen to come back in a few months. So feel free always to send me an email or a tweet saying, hey, next time that you have Karen Tynan on, could you ask her about this topic here? And we'll try to keep this as an ongoing, say, quarterly thing for the industry where we continue to get her excellent advice without having to pay her her exorbitant rate per hour. So. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Glenn. There you go. I'm Glenn King XXX on Twitter. That's G L E N N K I N G XXX. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, please hit the subscribe button, give us a good review, all of those things. We thank you again, Karen, and we thank everyone who listens to Mature Audiences Mayhem. Mm -hmm.